Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Would you build a house without a foundation? Would you have a child and not name it? Would you let a stranger squat on your property? No, of course not. So why should the Internet be any different? Every week, speak with top domain experts. Learn how to make money with domains. Know your legal rights. Each week, join our expert host to be master of your domain. Right here on Domain Masters. Hello, everyone. It's Monty Khan, your host. Welcome to Domain Masters. Um, we are, or I am, on a whirlwind tour. Been to several conferences over the last couple of weeks, and uh, going to recap some of those uh, for you. Uh, I have a really special guest tonight, uh, uh, Devin Parekh from Insight Venture Capital Partners, um, located in New York City. And I thought it was important, given some of the uh, domain conferences that are coming up, especially the Traffic Silicon Valley Show, where we're going to be talking to a lot of the bankers and VC uh, community about domain names and how they feel about it, having one of the key venture partners and key companies that invest in companies with domain names or have a domain-related strategy. And uh, Devin's been with the firm for quite some time. And uh, his own portfolio that he's been involved with evaluating includes such companies as Canoodle, Vendari, which is part of New.net, um, or the New.net is owned by Vendari, uh, NetShops, and many others that have uh, literally hundreds of thousands of domain names. So uh, it'd be nice to get his perspective on, on where he sees the industry, what attracts companies to his firm, and uh, why, why he's attracted to the domain name business as well. And um, so we'll spend some time with him as well. And uh, uh, just over the last uh, couple weeks, uh, or the last week, I've been at uh, uh, Internext and CES and, uh, and most recently the Affiliate Summit, and there's a lot of activity with domain names going on at all three of those conferences as well. So we'll talk about that. I'm going to break for a couple commercials. We'll be right back with uh, Devin uh, from Insight Venture Partners. It's all about links, baby. Content is king, but links are what you need to get you those all-important organic search listings. Float to the top of your keyword listings within the major portals while driving targeted traffic to your website at the same time. Work with a company with a proven track record for delivering results for thousands of individual website owners and major Fortune 500 companies. TextLinkAds.com is your source for securing relevant links. Baby, textlinkads.com. $6 million, $2.2 million, $4 billion, $6 million. Then just kicking ass with the main name. Monty, 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 Monty. And uh, what, what's, uh, what's been your highest domain name sale? How much money was it for? It was approximately $144,000. About one hundred and fifty dollars That's correct. Okay, great. You have had eBay by Rent.com and Shopping.com for a combined $1.4 billion. Monty. 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 The master of your domain. Monty. Literally, probably 90 days after buying it uh, for $80,000, Interbrew bought it for $7 million. We appraised the property and helped get it sold for $3.4 million. It was the most valuable asset that they had, $6 million or $10 million on a domain name. When we sold Autos.com for $2.2 million, people thought it was nuts, too. <laughs> domain Masters, only on Webmaster Radio. Be the master of your domain. Commercials off. Now back to 
Domain Masters. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Domain Masters. Uh, as I mentioned, I have, I'm fortunate to have one of the general partners uh, from one of the fastest-growing um, venture capital firms uh, uh, in our space, uh, Devin Parekh, on the phone. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about his company, uh, where they see the domain name market, why they're attracted to domain name companies and domain names in general, and uh, get a little bit of an insight from him. Uh, Devin, you on the show? Uh, I am. Hi, Monty. How are you? Great, great. Uh, thanks for uh, taking the time to be with us tonight. Thank you for having me. I thought it was a really good idea to have someone like you on. Um, we're, we're about to roll into uh, a couple key domain conferences and some other conferences, um, um, but uh, specifically Traffic uh, uh, Silicon Valley is a, is a conference that's uh, going to be focused around uh, more of the VC and banking aspect of domain names. And since you uh, are involved with uh, one of the fastest-growing uh, venture capital firms that really has a good insight on the domain name industry. I thought it would be a good idea to have you on board. Why don't you give us a little bit of insight, huh, no <laughs> pun intended. Intended, a little bit of insight about your, your particular business, your firm, and how you got involved in this particular segment of the business. Sure. Um, insight uh, Venture Partners is a uh, venture capital slash growth equity firm that's based in New York. Uh, we have about uh, $2 billion of capital under management. Uh, we focus on the areas that we focus our investments in are um, enterprise software, uh, technology-enabled services, and most recently and probably where our biggest focus has been over the last couple of years has been the Internet sector. Um, and we, uh, back in 99 and 2000, pretty much stayed away from the Internet. Uh, what we fundamentally found were business models that um, obviously were not, not profitable, and, and the reason they weren't profitable is because customer acquisition cost was way too high. Um, so people were acquiring customers online for 100 or $200 and selling them things for 5 or 10 or $15, and obviously it's hard to make that up on volume. Right. So we, we, we fundamentally stayed away from the Internet, and then probably in, a, in, uh, in 2002 we said, let's take a fresh look at the Internet. But rather than starting by looking at e-commerce companies and, and, and content businesses, we said, why don't we look at um, the businesses that are helping helping get consumers into the online channel. Let's, let's start with the Internet marketing companies. Obviously, at the time, Google wasn't public, but there's a fair amount of buzz that said this was a business model. It was a compelling one that a lot of companies were using effectively. And so we started by looking at the online marketing segment and said, let's see whether or not you can actually effectively use online advertising as a way to get consumers online. And if you can, and if you can get people on the Internet in, with an ROI positive, in, a, in an ROI positive way, then a lot of other business models make sense. Content makes sense, e-commerce makes sense, and other Internet-based services make sense. Right. And we came to the conclusion, and we then talked to about over 600 companies in the Internet marketing space um, and ended up investing about $150 million across eight companies. Um, they cover a broad array of Internet marketing services and came away with a strong, convi- <laughs> a strong conviction that, in fact, uh, it is a powerful way and a very cost-effective way to get consumers uh, online, and that, that actually works. So then we then broadened our uh, we, we then broadened our purview into looking also at e-commerce and content, uh, but two other categories that we've looked at uh, very actively. As part of all that work, you know, one of the conclusions that we came to is that getting traffic. Um, is, is what's important. And it started by people saying, that's easy, I'll, I'll use Google, uh, or I'll use Overture, or I'll use Canoodle, or I'll use one of the other companies that are out there. Um, and what's happened over time, obviously, is everybody's figured that out, and the cost of doing that continues to go up. So if you're an e-commerce company, you're a content company, and you want to drive traffic, you can do it, but year, year over year, the cost of doing that thing has become a lot higher. Right. And so what people are trying to figure out is, how do I get that traffic at the lowest possible cost and and I think there's two approaches that can get ta- that get taken on that, and, and I'm coming back to the domain concept here. One is um, obviously I, I spend my time trying to get better organic search, uh, not paid search, but organic search, and drive traffic to my site that way. Um, the other is to have the right domain so that I actually get significant amount of type in traffic. Um, and so I think that how we originally got to the domain market is we saw that early that if you had the right domain. Um, not only would it help your organic search, because the right top-level domain helps your organic search, but you could also get significantly more type-in traffic, which drives your marketing costs down significantly and can become a true competitive advantage. 
Right, right. Sorry, so, so uh, do you, are you a strong believer then in direct navigation as well for an overall traffic strategy to drive business to, you know, other other businesses in general? So um, I assume that anyone, you're a big believer that anyone should go out and register different variations of their domain names and, and for the obvious reasons to drive traffic to their website, but even to the point of forming their own online ad networks through uh, domain direct navigation. Absolutely. And I think that companies that don't do it, in effect, what's going to happen is speculators are going to do it for them. Um, and the, the competitive disadvantage they'll be in is they'll still be dependent on somebody else for that traffic. Um, so competitively, if you want to have true long-term defensible traffic, um, you want to do it, you want to do it yourself uh, so that you, you're the true owner of your own destiny and that you control your own traffic. Because if you don't, and if you're in a category or in a vertical market that monetizes reasonably well, a speculator will do it, and they'll drive traffic to your site, but at the end of the day, they control that traffic. And if somebody else will pay them more for that traffic, you won't own it anymore. Yes, that's true. Yes, I, I definitely agree with that. And some of your companies, now you've made some serious investments in some of the companies that are doing this very thing. So name a couple of the, of the key companies that people might know in the industry um, that, that have taken a strategy around domain names and made it very successful. And, why, and what, what have they been doing um, differently from each other that has been successful for them? So, for example... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, and I'm just saying, you know, for example, uh, you have investments in, um, in um, Vendari, who has a very large portfolio of domain names, and you have a company called NetShops, which has a, a large portfolio but uses the domain names for different things. Yes. So uh, Vendari's got a, a very large portfolio that numbers in the hundreds of thousands, and their, take, their approach to it, as distinct from NetShops, which I'll come to in a second, is to take that true direct navigation approach, which is to say that there are plenty of categories out there where you can own a domain that's not owned by who should own it, which is whoever it is that wants that traffic, that you can monetize extremely well. In effect, you can arbitrage it. And really, fundamentally, when you think about it, it's a real estate play. Right. Uh, and you would value it like you'd value real estate. It's, there's an upfront cost. There's an ongoing cost. There's a revenue stream. Um, and like you talk about real estate in, in the context of a cap rate, I think that within two years, people will be talking about domains in the context of a cap rate, because in effect, the cash flows emulate real estate very closely. Yes. Yeah, many, many people are actually, many experts in the industry are starting to say, if you look at the history of real estate and the appreciation uh, trends of real estate, you will be able to look and predict what's going to happen with the domain name market over time as well. Right, and, and, and just like in real estate, there's you know, oceanfront real estate, cars.com, and there's you know, inner, you know, inner city real estate, which might be, do you want a small car dot com, right? Um, and they're going to get valued very differently because the amount of traffic is going to be very different. But um, and then I, there's, I think and then the there's analog swamp, real and then there's is extremely relevant. And then there's real estate that's even west of that, or or even swampland today that could be the development diamonds in the rough for tomorrow. And I totally agree with that. I think the approach that Vendari has taken is go go after categories that are monetizable, where people want that traffic. Um, you know, own the domains in that traffic, and then optimize those landing pages, um, similar to say a MarchX might do. Optimize those uh, landing pages and drive that traffic to good, high-quality, relevant sources. Because I think still fundamentally, the attitude that you need to take, and at the end of the day, it leads to the best monetization is relevancy. The more relevancy you put on that landing page, the better it is for a consumer who might have gotten there accidentally. Um, and the more value there is for the consumer, the higher your click-through rate will be. The better it is for the consumer, the better it will be for you because the conversion rate will be higher. Right, right. So, for those of you that don't know Vendari uh, or don't know it by that name, um, Vendari acquired New.net. Yeah. Uh, when was that acquisition? That acquisition was in 2000, at the end of 2004. Yeah, at the end of 2004. These are two Ideal Lab-based uh, uh, businesses, right? And, yes. Uh, and um, you guys have a fairly, you guys are like the second leading investor in, into that organization, correct? That's correct. About behind Ideal Lab. Yes, that is correct. Yep, yep. great. Um, NetShops takes a very different approach, which is an e-commerce approach. NetShops is a e-commerce company which has a common back-end fulfillment common management, and uh, common sales and marketing infrastructure, but they operate uh, 100 stores, online stores. And their 
portfolio, domain portfolio acquisition strategy is much more around making sure they own high-quality domains in the categories that they're currently merchandising, as well as categories they might want to merchandise in the future, and then monetizing those through commerce. Um, and so there is what I'll call a more direct approach. They're taking the approach, I want to make sure that I own uh, – ha- I'm the controller of my destiny on my traffic. I don't want to get to the point where either a competitor or a speculator is, in effect, the owner of my traffic. Right. Right. And they have uh, they have some pretty key brands that do very well on the web, I guess. Um, um, they they – um, they drive a lot of revenue to their site through that direct navigation, and um, those online stores um, sell anything from ham- hammocks to uh, to uh, to furniture. And what are some of the items they sell through the through the use of those domain names? Hammocks, chess sets, uh, you know, uh, uh, pretty much any category of outdoor furniture, right? Uh, patio right. umbrellas, um, but they all have their own sites um, that are really merchandised to be specialists in that category. There's a right. third approach. Um, which is so we talked about you know monetizing kind of other people monetizing traffic that other people want. There's own your own traffic through name. So if you're merchandising uh, patio umbrellas, you want to own patioumbrellas.com. There's a third approach. You know we're an investor in a company called Newegg, which is in the electronics category, which is not a name that anybody knows, but they get seventy percent of their traffic through type-ins. Oh really? Now. That's very, very powerful. They've done it differently. They've invested in building. They bought a domain that they named, but then they built a brand around that domain. That domain now has huge value because it gets huge traffic. Um, so there's three approaches. There's, you know, you can own domains and send traffic to other people, buy domains that are relevant to your business to create long-term defensibility in your business model. And the third and the hardest is. Take your existing domain, whatever it is, and build enough of a brand around it that people come to it naturally. Right, right. And now, now if you're if you're in the domain name business and um, and you're a player like that, what are what are some of the key things from an investment standpoint? Let's let's move the business uh, uh, the business attractiveness around a little bit and give the listening audience a little bit of an idea of what you look for as a general partner for your company that attracts you to certain firms now. Um, whether it's whether they have domain names or not, but you know what attracts a company like yours to to one of these online companies that are up and coming. I what do you look for? You know, the thing that we look for the most today, um, and I think that's changed some over time. But I think the thing that we look for the most today is um, outside of the motherhood and apple pie, right? You want good management teams, you want good markets. Uh, you know, all of that. All your listeners have heard that fifty times. Right. But I think that. One thing that we really do focus on in online businesses, and that comes back to the domains, is defensibility of traffic. Um, because a lot of companies, um, their Achilles tendon is that their dependency on other people for traffic is so high that if that market changes or the underlying economics of that market change, put another way, keyword prices double, um, their whole business model doesn't work. Right. And so... One of the areas that I really focus a lot of time on right now is really making sure that the traffic that a company has, if they're an online business, whether they be e-commerce, whether they be a content company, or whether they be a uh, internet service, that the traffic is defensible. And domains is a part of that strategy. It's not the only strategy, but it's a part of that strategy. Um, and so, uh, you know, Insight in particular, you know, we're an expansion stage investor, so we're looking for companies that are um, at least have $5 million of revenues, have growth rates of 50% or higher, um, and typically are break-even to profitable. Um, I mean, that's what we look for. Um, and and then what we want to do is provide them the capital, sometimes for growing the business, or if the company is very profitable, as many of these companies are, uh, providing them liquidity um, to uh, for existing shareholders so they can diversify their, uh, diversify their net worth and uh, but take the business to the next level. Right, right. And, and something else that you do unique is that you have a, a pretty good core base of, of consultants that work within your business that you outsource out to the companies that you have in your investment portfolio. Correct. I, I think a, that's a really neat know, approach a because of, a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of investment firms uh, um, who work with their portfolio companies uh, on everything from, it can be anything from 
marketing, product marketing, market positioning, product positioning. They're really getting in there. They spend only all their time across software internet businesses. Um, and so their expertise in those areas are very deep. They can really go in and have a big impact on these companies. Right, right. Now, um, if if someone wants to, uh, and, and maybe this isn't for your particular company, but maybe you can give some of the basic, like three or four steps one would go to, one would go through if they wanted to raise capital um, in general in the marketplace. Since you've been doing this for a long time, you can yeah. probably help. Let's say um, you know part of the listening audience has a great idea around their domain name or domain name portfolio. What are some of the key things that they can pick up on tonight's show that would help them get a structure around getting the idea on paper, getting something in place, showing that uh, the model's uh, generating revenue or profit or has the potential to do so to make it attractive for a, a VC or, or, or a potential investor? But the first thing is, you know, um, you know, have, uh, you know, the, 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 one, the first one I'm going to say is really motherhood and apple pie, but it's amazing how many people don't do it, which is have that shorter pitch where you can lucidly explain what the underlying rationale is, why you think it's differentiated, and why you think it will be valuable. Um, that you can give people in five minutes, um, not because I or somebody else only give you five minutes, but you need to grab people's attention quickly. And then you can give them all the defense as to why it makes sense, but grab people's interest quickly. And it's amazing to me how many people will spend a one-hour meeting, and I don't get to the punchline until minute 55, and I'm looking at my watch going to my next meeting. Right, right. Uh, productivity is important. <laughs> grab people early, get their attention, explain why they're, why are they there? Why is this compelling? And why do you think this is a great investment opportunity? You've got plenty of time to back it all up. Get there first. Second, you don't need 50 pages. You need three or five compelling pages um, of materials on why the underlying idea makes sense. Third, be realistic in your financial projections. Everybody comes in and says, oh, I did no revenues last year. I'm going to do 10 this year. I'm going to do 70 this year. And I think they do that because they think that's what I need to do to impress a VC and get them excited. The reality is people look at that and say, it's got no credibility. Um, right, right. Create a financial plan that's got credibility, that's believable. You're much better off exceeding a plan than putting a plan on the table that has no credibility that you'll probably never make because you lose credibility. Um, and, again, these seem like very basic, but you'd be surprised how many people don't follow the basic blocking and tackling rules. And then the fourth, unlike, you know, Insight's got a slightly different approach because our approach is we've got 10 or 11 people full-time that just call companies. Um, and so we're proactively contacting people. That's not the approach most VCs take. But what I would say is that the best way, you can get to a VC without knowing them, but the best way to get to a VC is still through a reference, meaning if you know somebody who's worked with the firm that you're trying to talk to, uh, even if it's relatively casually, an email from that person is much more highly impactful than sending 100 emails out. Or right. at all, as an alternative, if you really want to go meet with XYZ firm, then the thing to do is don't send an email to 50 VCs. Send an email to 50 VCs. If you want to do that, you need to personalize each note. You need to send a note as to why you think that firm is a good fit for this idea. Right. Look at their portfolio, explain why your idea might fit with other things they're doing, why it fits with the themes that we're doing. It's amazing to me how many times I'll get an email from somebody who's starting up a new restaurant chain to me, and it looks like all they've done is gotten some list of 400 people that they emailed it to, and they've done no work to figure out that actually it makes no sense for Insight to be looking at that. Right. So I think it's the, you know, the, the basic blocking and tackling, which people say, oh, yeah, of course, You'd be, you know, maybe ten percent of the people just follow what I just said, right? And and those are some basic points. And then, and then, you know, an, I think another point is once you are part of a um, uh, have an investment from a venture capital firm, firm, it might be um, it might be in in your best interest to know when to step away or let uh, another set of managers or other people come in and really take the business to the next level too. Well, I think it's on that is really important to set the expectations. With the, with the VC early, meaning talk about that during the diligence process or while you're thinking about getting to a letter of intent. Ask the VC, what do you think? Do you think, do you see me running this business? Do you think we need to bring somebody else in? Um, be open with them. 
Um, if you think that you need to bring somebody in, tell them that. VCs are not scared off by that. They appreciate right. that. They appreciate the honesty with entrepreneurs who brought a business to a certain stage and need somebody to help to take it to the next stage. They're more likely to be impressed by that than the person who feels like they can take the business to a billion dollars of revenues. Right. Now, um, who, who are some of the firms? Who are some of the firms in the that are below your threshold of a of a business that generates five million dollars, but maybe one that's more of a startup place? What are some of the more recognized firms that one might want to contact um, to to pitch their initial plan? The, you mean early stage? Yeah, the early stage guys. Well, you know, the early stage firms that are well known, um, you know, that do obviously that do e-commerce. Now, whether or not they do domain specific deals, I don't know the answer to. Um, you know, Highland Capital has done a domain deal, but they're much they're like Insight. They're a late stage deal, right? Late stage firm. Um, you know, the early, the well known early stage firms that focus on the internet are probably uh, Kleiner Perkins, uh, Benchmark, uh, and Sequoia. Um, I mean, those are the three firms that have and, and Draper uh, Draper Fisher Jervitson. Probably the four firms that have done the most early stage kind of internet investing. Um, none of them that I've seen have done anything kind of domain-specific, not because they might not. I don't know for a fact that they're not interested in it. I'm just, I'm just a fact. That I don't think they have. Right, right. The domain area, we, we might consider going and looking at something. We probably won't look at a startup, but we would look at things that are below $5 million in revenues for one reason. The asset value, there's fundamental asset value that can be in excess of the revenue. Right, the, the value um, of the domain names themselves. Yeah, there's real estate value there. So, you know, we would probably look at something that's less than $5 million of revenue that's in the domain space just because um, of the fundamental asset value there. Right. What is your – now, you mentioned the, the Highland deal because of the – because you mentioned Highland because they'd made an investment in buy domains. Yes. And, and we talked a little bit about Marchex. Give me your perspective on both of those deals, because uh, I'm sure you know the, some of the details. Uh, but give me your perspective on first the Marchex deal of the acquisition of you know 80 plus thousand domain names and uh, and and how that went down, where you see the advantages and, and the disadvantages of that deal, and then let's compare it to the Highland um, acquisition of uh, of Bydomains. Well, you know I, I don't you know um, I, I know the I know the company I know Bydomains the company um, I'm. I, I, I don't really know what Highland's strategy is, and that's not meant to say that they don't have a strategy. I just don't – I'm not aware. But they, have a, they have a CEO that they brought in who's executing on a strategy. Um, I don't know what it is, so it's not – probably not – I'm probably not the best person to opine on, on, on their strategy. I think that you know they okay. have a, a big domain portfolio, and, and then they have a big – call it domain services-type business, not dissimilar to a moniker. Right, right. Um, and, you know, I think that historically their revenues came more from the sale, uh, more from the domain services. And over time, I think that they're figuring out that monetizing the domain portfolio makes more sense. And, you know, they're probably benefiting from some of the same general trends, Monty, that probably your business is benefiting from. Right, right. Exactly. Um, which is just stronger growth in sales, both as an agent as well as, in their case, as a principal. Um in the case of Marchex, uh, March, I thought that that was a very smart strategic move on Marchex's part, because the one thing that Marchex didn't have, to my earlier point, was proprietary traffic. Yeah. Um, and Google has it, Overture has it, uh, they didn't have it. And this was a very smart way to get significant amount of proprietary traffic, whose underlying revenue was probably going to grow as CPC grew but beyond that, had fundamental real estate value. So I thought that from a Marchex standpoint, that was a smart strategic deal. I mean, they, I think they paid a full multiple for it, but their stock at the time was valued pretty highly. Um, and so uh, given where their stock was trading, uh, I thought it was a smart deal for them. Right, right. Now, looking out in the future a little bit, where do you see um, where do you see this market going in the next uh, one and five years or so, you know, one to five years in terms of, you know, the, the, what, what companies are doing, the roll-up of the industry a little bit, the consolidation of some of these companies, your, your you know, your organization's, um, you know, uh, outlook on the domain name business in general. Give us a little bit of, uh, yeah, of insight on that. Yeah, very positive. <laughs> Look, I, I, think this is, I think this is real estate, but a long time ago. 
um, and people are just figuring it out, right? We haven't figured out what is oceanfront and what's on Central Park West and what, where Miami is. Um, I think there's general categories where people think, okay, these are hot, and so we should buy these. But I don't think the true underlying value of these things are known yet. So, you know, when um, in you know 1971, when New York City had a fiscal crisis, uh, you could buy a 10 to 14 room apartment on Central Park West for $250,000, and they were having a hard time getting it. Um, those apartments are worth $30 million right now. Uh, right, right. And so I think that one thing is probably the case is that there will always be exceptions. There will always be somebody who overpaid for a domain, just like there's always going to be somebody who will overpay for real estate. But across the industry, I think generally speaking, what you're going to find is that people are going to feel like they do about real estate. Everybody I know, when they bought their house or their apartment, myself included, said, boy, I top-ticked the market, and I'm probably going to lose money. And literally, everybody I know is also up on their apartment or their yeah, home. Yeah, definitely. Um, and that doesn't mean we won't all have a bump in the road uh, along the way. But fundamentally, the line's pointed up. And I think there's going to be things that get bought today for prices that feel high today that are going to seem low in 10 years. Right, right. So um, I'm, I'm very bullish uh, on the space. And, you know, I'm bullish on it. No different than I would have been, you know, just demographically bullish on uh, second home real estate 20 years ago. Just demographically, it made sense. Right, right. So um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm positive on it. I think I've got plenty of portfolio companies that are benefiting from the trends. You know, I probably wish I owned more personally, <laughs> more domains personally. Uh, but um, I think that the trends are, the trends are good. And I think um, it's, uh, you know, it's an exciting business. And I think like in other businesses, it's going to go from being a speculator's business, which is what it has been a, lo- a lot of, to just being kind of part of the strategy that most businesses have to conduct their business going forward. Right, right. Well, Devin, can you, uh, let's hold on for a couple minutes. I'd like to visit some of the risks on the other side of, of what people should be looking out for, and I'd like to get your take on what happened in 1999 and 2000 with the dot-com boom and bust, and do we have a chance, from your perspective, what are some of the things that um, eliminate that from happening again in the market from your perspective as, a, as an investor in companies that are on, online and successful these days? Okay. So if you can just bear, uh, bear with us for just, uh, just uh, two minutes, we're going to break for another commercial, and I'll be right back on with you. Okay. Okay. Stay tuned. Like the idea of gambling and winning with someone else's money? How about cashing in with the house? Sign up today with PartyPoker.com, the world's largest poker room and poker affiliate program. Cash in on one of the most lucrative and fastest growing industries for webmasters. There's $10 million paid out to webmasters every month. The world is your oyster and every hand is a winner. Wouldn't you like a slice of that pie? PartyPoker.com. Betting on the house makes you a winner every time. Contact Alex L at PartyGaming.com for a great deal. PartyPoker.com. For the last decade, millions of visitors seeking top ranking have visited their site. When it comes to the internet marketing expertise, one name clearly stands above the rest. Bruce Clay Incorporated. With a flexible, time-tested, and spam-free process to SEO and PPC, Bruce Clay has become the number one choice for companies of all kinds seeking to improve their search engine ranking, utilize their latest tools, training, consulting, and services. Let Bruce Clay create a tailored solution to meet your internet marketing needs today. Bruce Clay Incorporated. From WMR Studios, from Academy Award-winning producer, Mr. Producer, and Academy Award-winning director, Mr. Intern, comes a two-hour roller coaster ride of thrills. Excited about the uh, different things that are going on here. Chills. Wow, that's excellent. And pure adrenaline. How are you doing today, Greg? Excellent. 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 And again, sounds like the show's going pretty well for you. Oh, excellent. 
Excellent. Next stuff now's Chris Tolls. Excellent. And uh, welcome to Next Stuff Now. Good karma's good ROI, Greg Nyland. Trying to put your hole in the dam with all the cracks. You know, as soon as you get one, there's always a new one. Excellent. Starring the blockbuster event of the summer, Chris and Greg's Excellent Adventure. Um, yeah, that's excellent. Critics hail it as the best buddy movie of the year. East meets West in this laugh out loud box office classic. Excellent. You'll cry. You'll cheer for Chris and Greg's Excellent Adventure. Rated EX for Excellent. Check out Next Stuff Now with Chris Tolls, Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Eastern, and Good Karma, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Eastern, only on Webmaster Radio. Coming soon to a podcast near you. Excellent. Domain Masters. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Domain Masters. I'm Monty Khan, and uh, welcome back to my special guest, uh, Devin Parekh uh, from Insight Venture Partners. Uh, Devin, we were just talking about um, you know some of the positive things about the domain name market, and um, and and while you're bullish on it, what are some of the risk factors that uh, that that everyone should be looking out for? Is there a possibility of a dot com bust again, or or what's your what's your firm's feeling about what? What's different today than was uh, than was happening in 1999 and 2000? Well, I always think there's a risk of a bubble, um, but I, I do think that there are some changes. Uh, there are some fundamental differences. If you look at 99 and 2000, and you look at you look at e-commerce or you look at content, I think what you saw was, in the case take content as an example, primarily your advertiser base was other venture-funded companies that were losing a lot of money. Right. Um, if you looked at e-commerce, it was fundamentally companies that had negative gross margins, meaning they were not even making money on forget sales marketing, I and mean, they weren't making money on product. They were just um, they were uh, the, the view was get to a lot of volume and you figure it out later. Um, you're not seeing those type of businesses today, so you you don't have uh, business models that are fundamentally broken. Of course, there are going to be companies like that, but fundamentally across the universe, there's very few of them these days. Um, and so the underlying health of the business models today is, I think, a lot better than it was in 99 and 2000. So I think that's good. Do I think that there are segments of the market that we have that we have a risk of having a valuation bubble on? You know, absolutely. For, for example, which ones? Well, I mean, I think content is is an example. I mean, I think that you know that's a category that we've spent a lot of time looking at. And I've looked at it for years, and um, you know we've gotten more aggressive about looking at some stuff this year. But I think what everybody in that space is doing is they're looking at um, some combination of MySpace, IGN, and uh, MarketWatch, um, and saying, well, those companies sold for 18 to 20 times EBITDA, and so if I'm a two million dollar revenue company with one million of EBITDA and two employees, I'm worth twenty or thirty million dollars. Right, right. Um, they're using those as and, examples to, to to rate their own valuations. Right. So I think that. Is there valuation inflation in some categories that I think is not sustainable? Absolutely, and content's a good good example of that. Um, great category, great long-term prospects, great secular trends. Pricing is doesn't make sense. There's benefits to scale, meaning if you're a $50 million revenue company, you do get valued higher than if you're a $2 million revenue company. And so I think that there's more in some subsectors, there's some valuation bubble, um, I don't see the problem that I saw in 99 and 2000 where you just fundamentally 50 to 70% of the businesses you saw didn't have a business model that you could see making money in the foreseeable future. Right, right. And, so, and I guess a lot of the venture firms and a lot, or a lot of the companies have learned a big hard lesson uh, from the past is that they're not going to see investment money from a venture capital firm. People don't want to fund losses in perpetuity anymore. Right, right. right. Back then no it was like catch the losses. Catch, back um, then it was like catch the wave. And uh, you know, invest first and get and be the first one in, and then worry about the business model later. Where now, business acumen and and a uh, and a responsible business uh, model is more important to drive uh, something yeah, I mean, that uh, has the best chance. It actually succeed. matters, right? <laughs> yeah, it actually matters now. <laughs> uh, so, um, I mean, and maybe that shouldn't be, maybe that shouldn't be such a surprise, um, but fundamentally, it is. I mean, that's just not the way. That's just not the way businesses were being run. Right, and uh, you know, I think now um, that is the way businesses are 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 more likely to be uh, uh, a run. So I think that's a huge positive, and I think that's a big difference. So some valuation bubbles, I don't see as much of the business model bubble. 
Right. I, I think some other things that have contributed to the success of, um, of what's happening today versus yesterday, which are, you know, very common known things, but um, uh, people are more comfortable doing secure transactions online today. They're more comfortable putting down their credit card today. Absolutely. The, per- the peripheral costs are less expensive. Bandwidth is less expensive. You can get, you can get transactions done quicker, um, get satisfaction from being online versus the past. And, and I see that just continuing to improve, and you're going to be able to do all kinds of stuff on your cell phones and, you know, PDAs and all kinds of stuff that we're, we're just dreaming about today. But uh, I was just at the CES show in Las Vegas, and I was just blown away how much more advanced the world is compared to the United States in some of these devices. And um, it's and just going to drive more transactions. Broadband penetration to Asia significantly. And a lot of these new technologies emerge in other parts of the world way before mobile is a great example where Europe, the U.S. is lagging. I mean, Europe's been there for years. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we'll get there. Um, you know, we sometimes we're slow, but we get there. And but so so I don't I don't see some of the same fundamental problems I saw in ninety nine and two thousand as I today as I did then. So that to me is a pretty big difference. Well, what's what's your take? What's your take personally and as a company on Google? Is is it over? Is is Google overvalued or is it undervalued? You know, I'm not a stock analyst, so I, I don't know that I have a strong personal view. Uh, well, would you buy it. would um, you buy their stock today? I don't own it, um, but I don't I, I haven't owned it and. Um, and obviously, I should have owned it. So uh, I certainly should have owned it at 85 when they went when they went public. Um, I think that one of the things that the market sometimes doesn't value appropriately or doesn't value doesn't value is they don't adjust for growth far in excess of the market, and they don't necessarily always adjust for business models that are just fundamentally better. Um, and it's hard to adjust for that because there are not a lot of those business models. Google is one of those people who's got a business model that's fundamentally better. And the thing about it is the free cash flow characteristics of that business are unbelievable. Now, mm-hmm. having said all that, um, you know, it's, it's now $135 billion market value. Uh, <laughs> that's <and> huge. <laughs> It's a hundred thirty-five billion dollar market value. Yeah, it's so huge. You know, it's like inconceivable. Uh, you know, bigger than Time Warner, bigger than any media company um, out there. Uh, in fact, it's bigger than uh, if you take I think the top three media companies, you combine them. I don't think it hits Google. Right. So um, tremendous, tremendous market cap. I think their innovation has been unbelievable. Um, they've done a, a great job executing. Uh, the question is, A, is the market in search going to grow at the same rate that it has been? I don't think so. I think the growth rate is going to slow down. And then, two, can they innovate fast enough to diversify into faster-growing areas? They've certainly put some very interesting seeds down in a lot of markets. So uh, what, 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 what's your what opinion? This what's your, way what, is, here's the way I would say it. I'm probably not a buyer today, but I'm also not, I w- I'm not so confident that they won't do it that I would short the stock. Right, right, right. I wouldn't short it. What, what's uh, your feeling about their their purchase of underground fiber and uh, the the conception that Google might own pieces or parts of the infrastructure part of the internet? Um, you know, I, I don't necessarily know that their their goal there, is, and I don't know. So let me start by saying I don't have any inside information. So what I'm stating here is just my my personal opinion. Um, the I don't think their goal is to own a piece of the internet backbone. I think their goal is simple. I think that they will. I think you'll have Wi-Fi access everywhere in within the course of the next couple of years, and it might be free. And I think Google is a likely supplier of it. I mean, they're testing that in in in, in San Francisco, and they're, they're going to test in other markets. And I think if it's a decent test, they'll roll it out, and they will monetize that. For, They'll monetize that through advertising. Right. So if more people have online access, they're more likely to serve uh, search on Google and on where they want to go. If you want free access, your homepage has got to be Google. Right. I mean, there's ways, or you have to take the Google toolbar. There's ways to basically monetize that access. And so I think that it's a um, – I think what they're trying to do is make sure that Google is integrated into – already it's a part of everybody's – almost everybody's online life. Uh, now they're just saying whether you're mobile, whether you're traveling, whether you're at home, um, no matter where you are, we want Google to be the index you use to deal with the Internet, right. the interface you use to deal with the Internet. And to that, they've largely succeeded. Now, they haven't succeeded in the other channels yet, but don't underestimate them. I wouldn't underestimate them. Um, so I think they've done a fantastic job. I think the one risk they have is that I think that a lot of publishers um, – 
are getting nervous about them. They're starting to view them as a competitor. Because they're taking over, literally taking over their own advertising networks. Right. And so the publishers are getting nervous, and that's creating opportunities for others. Um, but, you know, I certainly wouldn't say that they've got huge weaknesses in their model. Right, right. And where, just briefly, where do you feel that Yahoo and, and Microsoft fit into this overall um, search picture, or how do you think they're diversifying enough to make themselves different? Well, I think Yahoo's still uh, definitely a relevant player here. I mean, they've got a tremendous amount of traffic. They've got a, a much more diversified set of revenues. Um, and I, I really like Yahoo, and I think they've done a – I think Terry Semmel's done you know, a fantastic job at Yahoo – really leveraging uh, an asset into multiple categories extraordinarily well. Um, I think that on, on the margin, Google is going to continue to take share. And I talked to the companies that I'm invested in as well as other companies. Uh, certainly, Google is taking more share of their dollar every day. Um, so I, I think Google's, on a relative market share basis, I think Google will take more share. Um, but I also think that uh, Yahoo has got a lot of other things beyond search. To grow, yeah, um, and so I feel I feel good about Yahoo, Microsoft. Um, you know, I, I feel like the trains left the station on search. Um, they weren't there when the train left, right? Um, so I think it's going to be a challenge for them to be a a real player in search. Um, they spent a lot of money on their search product. It's still really not as good as Google and Yahoo. Um, so I think they're going to have a challenge, but don't underestimate one thing: they own a lot of desktops. Yes, they do. Um, and there's a lot of way to monetize those desktops, and nobody's in a better position to do that than Microsoft. So I think they have a shot, but their shot is not necessarily going to be because I think they've got a better product. They might just have better dis- – through desktop ownership, they might actually have better distribution. Right. And that's going to be their card. Whether they play that card well or not, I don't know. Um, but I don't view them as a strong player and. And you know, in search, there's plenty of other things they are strong in. Yep, search is probably not the one that picked though. And what's your um, um, just just to, to get your get your thoughts around some of the other um, segments that possibly you guys aren't invested in today that you're moving towards? Are you looking at a at a mobile investment strategy? Uh, we have, everything? I mean, we're actually our investors. I mean, we're, we're, we're we we were investors in a company called Airborne Entertainment, which we've since sold, uh, which was basically all mobile content. Uh, or investors in a company called Infusio, which is based in Europe, but has got, uh, game, you know, war, as an example, we've got the uh, Microsoft Halo game for online handsets. It's got the Neopets uh, game for online handsets, both in North America and in Europe. So we, we've been active investors in mobile and are continuing to look at more. Um, so that's a category that uh, we like, have invested in, and will probably continue to invest in. And what other non-obvious um, segments are you looking at these days? Just to, because of things that things are different today than they were uh, a couple years ago. Um, you know that is, uh, um, you know, that, I, mean, that, I would say right now what we're, you know, what we're what we're basically trying to do is say, um, what we're trying to basically say there is that what are the markets? If you look at if you look at internet services. What are other services that people are currently doing offline that will eventually be moving online? Will be eventually moving online that'll make it easier, better, and cheaper for consumers to access those services at more touch points. Right. right. Um, that's a high-level theme, um, but that's a high-level theme that we're really um, digging into across multiple verticals. We just invested in a company called DivX, uh, which is one of the standards for video uh, distribution. Right, uh, and uh, you know, is embedded in probably seventy percent of their software is embedded in probably about seventy percent of the DVD players sold in European countries. Uh, and so we think video uh, online is a huge category. And so there's there's a lot of interesting markets that this offline to online shift is impacting. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, I couldn't disagree with you. That's for sure. <laughs> definitely. Well, Devin, I really appreciate uh, appreciate your time, and um, you've definitely given us some insight on uh, on your company and some of the some of the um, areas of opportunity. And also, uh, it was nice to hear uh, some of the key points that one can look to do if they're interested in having a VC firm come and look uh, uh, look towards uh, their business model so that they can do things on the web. Um, any last thoughts or anything before we break away on um, just 
general advice for um, those that want to start up a business and um, just want to be successful? I, I know that you touch other areas, like uh, we talked a little bit about search engine optimization, and, and you, you guys are, are mixed in with that with uh, some of your, your holdings as well. Um, anything else you can provide some insight on? No, I, I, think, uh, I think we covered it earlier. So Okay, great. Great. Well, I really appreciate your time, and, uh, and I'd love to have you back on the show at some point in the future, and um, uh, I, 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 I really appreciate it. Okay, thanks thanks a lot, Monty. Okay, thanks a lot, Devin. Have a nice evening. Okay, folks. uh, Well, my special thanks to Devin Parekh from uh, Insight Capital Partners. And um, uh, we will uh, wind up the show. Uh, Next week we'll have another live show. I believe uh, I will be back in town finally. I've been uh, on a a whirlwind tour for about 10 days. So uh, we'll be back on the show with another live version of Domain Masters, and uh, like I said, and I think with the show right before the new year, I think what we're going to do is a little anniversary edition uh, coming up soon since uh, we finished our first year of uh, successful broadcasts, and uh, kind of recap the year, and uh, maybe have some of the guests on to, to give, their, uh, give their view about what's going on in our industry and how to be more successful going forward. So with that, I will let everyone go. Have a great day, and be the master of your domain. Take care. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.